0: Welcome to What You Need When You Need It, a bi-monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state, and ways to positively impact your financial health. No matter where you are in your life, Seattle Credit Union is here to help you prosper.
1: Welcome to What You Need When You Need It, a podcast by Seattle Credit Union. This week, we're sitting down with Tori Dunlap, a money expert and leading force in financial feminism. We're going to talk about how college kids can navigate these important years without racking up unnecessary debts, prepare financially for post-college life, and still have fun doing it. Spoiler alert, you don't have to give up your Starbucks. We'll be discussing everything from types of loans to budgeting techniques, and we're happy to have you join us, Tori. Thanks very much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to be here.
1: Yeah, uh, we'd love to kick things off with a quick intro. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how her first k became the financial force it is today.
2: Sure. I was lucky enough of having a really great financial education growing up. So I had parents who were really committed to teaching me about money and helping to build my financial confidence. And I kind of took it for granted. I thought that everybody knew not to overspend on credit cards and that everybody knew how to save and invest. And I graduated college and realized, of course, that that wasn't the case and that I was Mm. the friend all of my friends were coming to for advice and guidance. And so I'm Seattle-based. I was working a nine-to-five in uh, corporate doing marketing and then built her first 100K slowly on the side over about three and a half years. And for Mm. me, it it was really the realization that, again, we don't have access to financial education. And if you're a woman or a member of another marginalized group, if you're a person of color, if you're differently abled, if you're a member of the LGBTQ community we are not receiving this financial guidance and uh, financial stability in the way that other groups are. And so I became committed to growing my business to not only give myself a way out of corporate, but to really fight the patriarchy through financial education. I don't think we have any sort of equality until we have financial equality. And so I have built this business to the point where, yeah, last year I was able to take it full-time. I am now a nationally recognized money expert, which is just the coolest. I've been on Good Morning America, The New York Times, uh, People Magazine, a bunch of others. And I have a global following now of about 700,000 that's growing every day. And it's my favorite thing in the world to do is just give women tools to feel financially confident so they can not only start changing their lives, but change their communities and the lives of others.
1: It sounds like you're so passionate about what you do and what you're passionate about helps those underserved communities and what a gift that is. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head um, with the fact that so many groups are just not given these financial tools. Uh, or even the language to start talking about how to set themselves up for financial independence. So uh, from me and the folks at Seattle Credit Union, thank you for doing that work in our community. Um, it's really important.
2: That means the world. I, I, I've i seen firsthand, and I'm sure you all have too, the impact that this knowledge can have and building people's financial confidence means that they can change their lives, right? They can get out of toxic situations like a job or a relationship because they have the financial means to do so. They can start businesses and donate to causes they believe in and take vacations and buy homes and they have all of these options, right? And and I always say having funds means having freedom. You have the options when you have financial stability and financial confidence, and so that's what I believe I was put on this earth to do is is giving actionable mm. resources to help build that financial confidence.
1: Mm. That's fantastic, thank you, Tori. Uh, so let's turn our focus to uh, those young adults and adolescents who may be thinking about how to build their own financial independence and create those options for themselves. Uh, You know, we're going to talk a little bit today about college finances, what's worked for you specifically, and then any advice that you have for young adults as they begin to navigate these years. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay. So let's start with something on financial literacy in general. You've mentioned on Instagram that financial literacy and education have always been at your center, whether it was in your younger years through your parents or now through your business. So I'd love to start out by learning about your college experience and the factors or habits that helped you maintain financial stability during those years.
2: So we were talking about this before we started recording. You're in Portland. I graduated from the University of Portland in 2016 with two degrees, neither of which were finance or business. <laughs> it was theater <laughs> and communications. Um, and I was able to study abroad. I uh, was part of uh, the e-scholars program, the entrepreneurial scholars program at the University of Portland, and honestly just had the best college experience. I, I made the perfect decision going to the college I went to. I made you know really great lasting relationships and friends. And it was just, it was just such a great experience for me. And I was really lucky because a lot of my friends didn't have that experience. Um, Part of my financial journey, and I'm the first to admit that so much of my story is hard work and it's also privilege. So I'm a cisgendered white woman. I have not only uh, emotionally supportive parents, but I have parents who made really responsible financial choices. And so part of my college journey was us trying to figure out how I was going to graduate debt-free. So mm. I, uh, had a, uh, a job my senior year of high school, I worked as a cashier at a music store that was local. And then I worked three jobs while I was in school, all part-time, and they were all on-campus jobs. So I was actively working while attending school And in addition, working to get scholarships, whether that was merit scholarships or scholarships within my department. And so we were able to achieve that goal of me graduating college debt-free, not only because I was uh, strategic in getting scholarships and, and contributing my own money, but my parents were also in the financial position to help me out a little bit. So Mm -hmm. that was really, though, the biggest goal when, you know, kind of junior year rolled around and I had gone through freshman and sophomore and half of junior year without taking out loans. And then we were kind of staring down this last year, year and a half, wondering if we were going to be able to make it work. And so I think that that is my first actionable tip is really figuring out, it sounds so obvious, but really figuring out how much college is actually going to cost because, When you're young, $30,000 or $50,000 or even $10,000, it just seems like this kind of phantom number. It's not real. Mm -hmm. Um, You've probably never seen that amount of money in your life. I know I definitely hadn't. And so when I saw a sticker price of $48,000 to go to college, I didn't know how expensive that was. I had no barometer of what that actually meant. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people's yearly salaries pre-tax are $48,000. So <laughs> for for me, it was, again, I was really lucky to have parents who sat me down and had that conversation. But if you are a parent or a guardian who has kids you're, you're sending to college, have a conversation with them about what college is actually going to cost and where the money's going to come from. Do you have college savings for them? Are you willing to contribute? Or do you have money to contribute to their college? If so, how much? How much are you expecting that they are going to pay? And so that was a really honest conversation I had with my parents. We showed up before every semester and my parents were like, here's how much we can contribute we have to find the rest of the money somewhere else, you know? So how much are you going to contribute either through scholarships or through working? And then I worked, you know, all my summers as well. Either my summer or Christmas breaks, I would come home and also work. And so find out actually how much college is going to cost and then really have an honest conversation about, is that money going to come from, you know, is part of that money going to come from scholarships? Is it going to come from working? Do you have a college fund that your parents or guardians have set up for you? Or is, you know, do you have to do that with some sort of combination of student loans? So really transparent conversations and really breaking down the cost of college is something that I'm really glad uh, my family and I did.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a really powerful and in in my experience, uh, rare and fortunate story. Um, So, you know, it sounds like not only did you put in a ton of work uh, throughout college, but um, you developed a vocabulary and and a financial literacy around uh, what price tags are um, right. and probably put some measuring sticks next to each of those because, as you mentioned, it's hard to quantify what ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars is as someone who has never had an income before or has you know just not looked at those numbers. so, Tori, for the parents out there who may be listening, you know you said you started talking about this pretty early, when is the right time for parents to start this kind of discussion with their children um, you know if they have aspirations of going to college?
2: Yeah, I think if you are planning on attending uh, college, whether that is a four year school or a community college, you're probably having those conversations when you're fourteen or fifteen with your parents you're having those conversations in high school um, and part of Uh, You know, maybe I wasn't able to contribute as much, of course, as I wanted to financially, but I was contributing through my hard work and good grades to get merit scholarships. So that's a factor that I considered when I was in high school is, you know, how do I make sure that I'm getting good grades, not only in order to get into a good college, but also in order to make sure that I get as many merit scholarships as I can, I mean, for me and my family, I was lucky enough where it was kind of a given I was going to college. My mom didn't mm-hmm. go to college and really, really kind of regretted that choice and really wanted to make sure that I was going to go and get a bachelor's degree. And so the expectation in my household was, yeah, I was going to college. Um, for other people, that might not be the case. And so I would say the earlier, the better, but really when, when your student or when your child is in high school start having conversations about, you know, what colleges interest them? What path do they potentially want to take? Do they have a particular major in mind or maybe a particular field? What is their, what are they passionate about? What are they looking to do with a potential career? And then you can make choices about what college you're attending from there. If you know, for instance, you want to be a doctor, maybe, you know, you're, you're going to go into a certain field of study in your bachelor's degree that's going to be different, or you're going to have to attend a certain college. You know, for me, I was really passionate about storytelling and theater and ended up finding out actually when I was 16 or 17 that there was such thing as a communications major and just felt like, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. Um, But wouldn't Mm -hmm. have known that if I wasn't reading into college programs, if I wasn't having these conversations with my family. So of course, there's the financial aspect of considering, you know, what college can you afford? Is there a certain program that you want to do that maybe will be more expensive? So these are all factors that you want to start talking about. But I would say the first conversation, of course, is are we interested in going to college? If so, Uh, you know, what are you passionate about and what are you interested in studying?
1: Yeah. And I also heard you say that there may be ways to contribute financially to your education other than direct financial contributions. So earning good grades to get merit-based scholarships. And I think that opens up a whole new realm for young adults and young people who may want to contribute more to their financial independence and contribution.
2: College. Yeah, and we hear, um, so. we hear a lot about, like, sports-based scholarships, right? You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's scholarships for student-athletes, and that's something to explore. I wasn't aware for us that were more artistic. If you're into music or theater or some sort of visual art, there are scholarships out there for us, too. And that's something that I wish somebody would have mm-hmm. told me sooner, is that once I kind of settled on the University of Portland, I didn't know until... Uh, I was kind of deciding, you know, what major I was going to be. Was I going to be able to do my theater major in addition to my communications major? That there were department-specific scholarships. So the theater department at the University of Portland had scholarships. And I would never have known that had I not inquired, had I not read a lot on the website. So right as I was kind of deciding on the University of Portland, I also went to audition for a theater scholarship and ended up receiving one. And that was for all four years of my attendance, as long as I was in good academic standing and continued to participate in the theater program. And of course that's, yeah, that's something I would never have known. So it's not just merit scholarships, or if, uh, you know, you're a minority, a minority scholarship, there's also scholarships potentially with your specific department and then I found out my sophomore year of college there was a department for the communications major too so if you're looking at a specific degree or major of study check and see with that particular department check with the nursing department check with the philosophy department ask specifically if they have a scholarship program that is you know run by the university but for that particular department
0: you're listening to what you need when you need it a bi monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. Thanks for tuning in.
1: I want to turn to something that probably a lot of folks in our generation and probably our listeners are unfortunately familiar with, and that's how to supplement those scholarships to cover the rest of tuition, and that's loans. I know for many people, there can be a lot of confusion around good and bad student loans and how much a student should take out, which we touched on a little bit, Um, but also, you know, what to look for in regard to interest rates and, you know, how to make a decision about what's a good student loan and a bad student loan. And if you have any insights around making those decisions, I think it would be immensely helpful.
2: Yeah. So the average student loan rate in this country is about four to five percent. And I have seen many a client, a coaching client who's come to me with rates in the somewhere region between 7 to 9%. Hmm. So having a knowledge of what average interest rates are can be a great tool to compare to. If you are about to take out a loan with an 8.5% interest rate when you know that the national average is between 4 and 5 there might be a better option for you out there. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation, this is anecdotal, but I had a conversation with um, a girl in my dorm who lived next door to me. And this was my sophomore year, her freshman year. And she had told me, she goes, by the time I'm done with my four-year degree, I will be in $100,000 of student loan debt. And wow. those are just, again, we talked about this earlier, but the reality of that, we knew that was a lot of money. I don't think either of us knew just how much money that really was. Because when you take out a loan, and if you know what a loan is, you can skip through this, but for those of you who need a refresher, the original amount you take out, right, let's say $100,000, that is the principal amount of that loan. You also have the interest, so 4 or 5 6%, whatever that looks like. So we hear these stories, and actually if you're on TikTok, you hear them quite a lot now, Of people who had student loans of $75,000 and who have paid something like $50,000, but still have $75,000 of balance because you have not only the principal, aka the original amount of money you took out, you have the interest that's accumulated on top of that. So, having again the knowledge of what your numbers are. It's not maybe just $100,000 of student debt or $10,000 or whatever that looks like. It's the interest that's going to be paid over time. And there's calculators that you can use online that are free that you can figure this out. You can also do this on your own calculator. But figuring out over a term of however many years of that loan, what is that total going to cost you? So it's really important that you find a loan that's going to work for you in terms of how long the loan is, what the interest rate is, and making sure that, that you know, there's no ideal student loan situation, but that that is the best decision for you in your financial
1: situation. Yeah, that's really important. And I think also that it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of calculation, right, Tori? Um, but right. if you had to give our listeners some guidelines or some kind of yardsticks to measure against, What on average out there is a reasonable length of time to be making payments or an average monthly payment or, you know, what, what should we all aim for when considering loans?
2: It's hard. I always say personal finance is personal. So it depends on your own goals. Mm. It depends on your income. It depends on a lot of different things. Um, I think really the, the number, the metric that I turn to is that interest rate number. So um, Mm -hmm. is it within... 4 to even like 6%. And if you can find it for less than that, amazing. Just, of course, make sure that the company's reputable. Make sure if you are going through a private uh, organization and just make sure that that is the best option for you. But for me, it it, it is about that interest rate because I talk with clients a lot about uh, average stock market returns, which we know tend to be about 7%. So if you Mm -hmm. are making more money somewhere else, aka the money is better off in the stock market, because your student loans are at a lower rate, that's a good ideal situation, right? Because then you can earn more money in the stock market than you're losing and being in debt. But if you have student hmm. loans over 7%, what happens then is you're actually losing more money by being in debt than you could be gaining with the stock market. So you want to focus on paying down your debt first before focusing your energy on investing. And so that, for me, is kind of the magic number of 7%. Is it higher than 7% or is it lower than 7% because of the average return of the stock market?
1: sorry hmm. you bring up, I think, something that a lot of us, you know, we, we think of the steps to financial independence and investing and, um, you know, balancing investment and debt is so important in calculating, you know, and and getting to that place uh, for an individual. I hadn't heard that 7% figure before, um, and I just wanted to call attention to it. Um, That's a remarkably effective and simple thing to remember. So, so Tori, we'll focus on that 7% number when when balancing loan interest rates and stock market return. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think that that's really kind of one of your key numbers is figuring out, okay, are you focused more on investing because you can get higher returns in the market than you're losing by being in debt? Or of course, is it vice versa? So yeah, having that number in mind when you're kind of shopping student loans is is something to be mm-hmm. aware of. I'm also getting a question a lot about the politics of student loans. So If we have Hmm. candidates that are interested in uh, student debt forgiveness who end up becoming elected and are able to carry out those plans, do I just not pay off student loans, right? Do I just wait and hope that these candidates are elected? And I am all for some sort of student loan forgiveness. I think we do have a trillion-dollar student debt crisis in this country, and it's causing people to just feel so financially dejected and preventing people from kind of proceeding in their financial lives, however, we can 't unfortunately wait around and hope that our politicians can magically uh, you know make it all go away tomorrow and so yeah, I hear that a lot, and especially with uh, investing as well of like well, if climate change is going to happen and and the world won 't be here in however many years, why should I save for retirement right and mm-hmm. uh, the thing with these financial goals is that we do, we're optimistic, right? We hope that, of course, we live to see retirement. We hope that we have systems in place that are able to alleviate the stress of student loans. We can't, unfortunately, count on those systems. So uh, waiting and hoping for um, you know some sort of student debt forgiveness is lovely and optimistic, and I'm here for it. Uh, practically it's probably not the best scenario. So you do still need a game plan. You need a game plan in terms of saving money or investing. You also need a game plan in terms of paying off your debt.
1: Yeah, I think planning has been so critical to your success and as a general philosophy and word of advice to those who are looking to take on the um, adventure responsibility and opportunity that a college education can create. I think that's something that's really uh, stood out for me in listening to your story.
2: And I love um, that you said opportunity too, because uh, really quick before we move on, I think yeah. It's very easy to hear a lot of traditional personal finance advice that debt is bad. And there's so much of how our society works that, you know, sometimes you have to go into debt in order to accelerate your life. You know, and of course, we hope that we all become debt free. For me, like I took out a car loan because having a car is something that I needed and something that was important. You know, buying a house or getting that college education. These are things that hopefully are, you know, rocket ships that are propelling you forward in your life and in your financial stability. So anybody who tries to make you feel ashamed of of your student debt, um, it's not helpful. It's not helpful behavior. And it's really, it's really not something that is, Yeah, going to be positive and going to be helpful for you. You going to college, I think, is a really amazing decision if you decide it's the one that is right for you. And if going to college means, you know, potentially taking on debt, um, I think that usually the benefits still outweigh, you know, being in some sort of student debt. So not all debt is bad. You're not a bad person for taking out debt. And I think that that's a really key point to touch on is that this shame that festers around being in debt is um, not warranted and not really helpful.
1: Hmm. That's really poignant, Tori. I think we'll probably talk a little bit later on about how having and carrying some debt, but also the process of paying it off, can actually lead to financial benefits. Right. Yeah. So if we turn from college loans to the actual college experience, which right now looks very different depending (laughs) on who you are, where you live in the country, you know, your level of personal risk tolerance. But let's assume that this podcast will be a permanent fixture in the digital landscape and that sometime in the distant future where college has returned to the social haven that it is, you know, let's assume students have social engagements they want to take part in. What's your advice for them in seeking to take care of their financial health and sticking to that plan that they've made, you know, without giving up their coffee dates or say the things that are important to them, like nights out with friends or takeout meals?
2: Yeah, I love this question because I really do believe that you can have both. You can save or pay off debt while also experiencing life. And I think the deprivation is just not a helpful strategy. There's a reason why diets don't work, right? Because the more you tell me to, I can't have fried chicken, the more I want fried chicken. So
0: um,
2: the deprivation or, or the quote unquote like oatmeal life, ramen noodle life of like complete and utter no fun. It's just not feasible. And to your point, it's not really the college experience. At the same time, I really don't want people going out and blowing their money constantly because you will regret that as well. You will regret Mm -hmm. never going out. You will also regret going out all the time, (laughs) both uh, for (laughs) your head and your body, as well as your financial life. So a dual benefit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think that really making sure that you are spending your money on things that are important to you. So, I know in my adult life now post college, I've identified the three areas of my life that I want the majority of my discretionary money to go. Those three for me are travel, food out, and plants. I love my plant babies and I'm literally recording this like looking at five that I'm just are sitting here on my desk. <laughs> so, for me, <laughs> Those are the things that are really important to me. And college students can do some of the same things where they can identify, okay, would I rather spend my money here or there, right? Would I rather spend my money on uh, a really great, cute, you know, comfortable living space? Or is that not so important to me and I'd rather spend my money elsewhere, if you have, you know, a limited amount of money, you get to decide where that goes because you can't really afford absolutely everything. But there are certain things, if you've deemed them important to you, that you can spend your money on. For me, I was really conscious of the amount of free stuff on campus all the time. Like when you get to college, you realize how many free activities are happening, how much free food there is. There's Free food all the time. There's at uh, least <laughs> at my college, and I think most colleges do this on like Friday and Saturday nights. There's some sort of like student programming. So they'd have you know stand-up comedians come in. They'd have magic shows or craft nights. Or uh, there was massages one day, which was insane. And so that was completely free as like part of the student. Well, not free, but you part you know, you pay that as part of your tuition or as part of your like student involvement fee. So. Um, Take advantage of those. Go to lectures if that's something you're into. Go to networking events and also, you know, find the fun stuff that's happening on campus because uh, you're paying for that. One of my biggest regrets is that I barely went to the gym in college. I was paying for a gym membership as part of my tuition and really only used the gym my senior year. And so... Yeah, take advantage of all of all of the free stuff on campus and really identify with the, you know, the limited funds you may have. Identify where you want that money to go. Is it more important that you're going out with friends or, you know, is it more important that you're traveling or that you're spending more money on your dorm room? So, you can identify what it is that you value and spend the majority of your money there.
1: That's a uh, really good advice and you know, Tori, once you've identified what those priorities are for you as an individual, are there any other kind of financial hacks, like most of us who have been to college know about finding cheaper or online version of textbooks, just like little things within those priorities that make saving a little bit easier.
2: I forgot about this all the time, but pretty much every uh, organization or, or um, business around my college offered some sort of student discount and sometimes they wouldn't hmm. advertise it unless you asked. And I know even national brands. Like I'm a I'm a big Madewell shopper and I remember in college in H&M, they both have student discounts and that's, you hmm. know, two brands off the top of my head that you might not know about. So there's a lot of companies that offer student discounts and when in doubt, there's no shame in asking. You know, typically yeah, it's like 10, 15, maybe even 20%. Um Spotify does a student discount. There's there's many companies out there that offer discounted rates for students. So take advantage of that. Uh, You know, if you're if you're spending money outside of your college, make sure that you're taking those benefits if they're available.
1: Well, I think that brings us to our time today. But we're really looking forward to speaking with you in part two, Tori, where we'll talk about time in college, savings, credit, investment and life after graduation. We'll see you next time.
0: This has been a What You Need When You Need It podcast by Seattle Credit Union. Seattle's partner in growth and prosperity. To submit a topic for consideration, please visit seattlecu.com slash podcast. Seattle Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing opportunity lender.